0: Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.
1: All right, we are back to work here. Need to catch up on some of the news that's piled up early in camp. Had a couple of trades we got to get to. Of course, Dan Feldman did a great job of analyzing those. For all of you now, everyone should be getting the emails from what used to be Total Access that is now just going to be dunked on Prime on its own. We want everyone to join our community, join the Discord, and really experience all the benefits, our salary sheets. Dan updated those when he did his trade analysis, which uh, I thought was really good. Not a surprise. That's why we hired him. So I hope you're all enjoying that. And then, of course, a reminder, too, that we've got the special John Hollinger presale going on through john's first official episode you might hear a little more from him before that but his first official episode is next week so got another week or so to get on board with that special john hollinger presale a rate that we are never going to offer again for a a yearly membership so go ahead and take advantage but now we're going to take a little break from all of our awesome season outlooks that i've really been enjoying to bring in danny and catch up on things where do you want to start, Mr. Leroux?
2: I want to start with the extensions because I think there were a really notable kind of like benchmark for a couple of different things. And we could start – with. so there was Steven Adams and Larry Nance that came out on Saturday. And we start with Adams. So he got um, $25.2 million over two years according to Woj. And this is significant for a couple of different reasons. So one for Steven Adams, he's getting over 10 million a year for another two years. and he you know, this is an extension. He still had one one remaining season on his contract. And it also is a signifier. So there was a way for the Memphis Grizzlies to clear cap space in the summer of 23. However, it basically required, unless they made additional moves, saying goodbye to Dylan Brooks, Steven Adams, and then, you know, they still have Danny Green's money, but, you know, like, and probably Brandon Clark, depending on what kind of terms he was going to do. That always seemed unlikely, but signing Adams, extending him, means that he's probably—means that the Grizzlies, I think, they're going to function as an over-the-cap team in 23.
1: Uh, yeah, it seems almost certain that that will be the case, and you, you mentioned— their three rotation free agents, Adams, Brooks, and Clark. Had they not extended Adams, didn't bring back Brooks, didn't bring back Clark, they could have had approximately 25 million in space. But that's not enough really to replace three rotation players. And yeah, maybe they could have done the big score and and tried to build up their depth again with some of these draft picks that they've made recently. But that's, again, not really the way this team seems to operate. And hopefully they can sign these guys to deals that would be movable if that did show up as an option to pursue a star that they could just be matching salary and, and not be negative matching salary so this is not a surprise here but it does I think augur good things for at least Dylan Brooks now the issue becomes what's it look like with respect to the tax let's say you throw Adams in that makes them about 40 million under the tax that should be enough you would think to bring back Brooks and Clark and still be comfortable there
2: right and in some ways the bigger question is probably 24 25 because that's when Desmond Bain gets his raise and it's possible things get a little bit dicey at that juncture if they bring back both Brooks and Brandon Clark but with the rising cap, I think the Grizzlies are going to make it out of this pretty clear. The big question will be, does someone else earn a big contract? Because if Zaire Williams or Sante Aldama get something, then maybe at that point the Grizzlies do it. But they might be able to make it through this run. You know, Jaws on this fight. He's going to start a five-year extension. Jaron's under contract through 25-26. They might make it through all that, re- being able to retain their young core and not pay the tax.
1: Yeah, also worth noting, we haven't seen any full details on this Adams extension of whether it's fully guaranteed hasn't specifically been said. So maybe there'd be a partial guarantee. This is his age 30 and 31 seasons coming up that he was extended for. And Steven Adams, really a guy who has won at the business of basketball. So much of this now, and and this involves good agenting as well, is to get yourself to a place where you are appreciated and they want to pay. And recall that we started off, with Steven Adams making $25 million a year in an extension, which was a very, very large sum for him. That's probably the biggest reason why the Thunder ended up paying a ton of tax in the end of the last decade was because Adams was probably about a $15 million a year player and maybe even less than that, and making way more. So then, despite that, New Orleans really wanted him in a trade. They traded for him. They extended him for two years at 17 per, which... Again, probably well above his market value, and but there's also the anchoring from what he was on before, and you want to keep him out of free agency and keep him in a small market. They did that. The Pels have also had kind of their tax issues. They ended up having to move on from Adams and Eric Bledsoe in part due to the tax. Now the Grizz have him, and I think finally this is more along the lines of a market value deal for Adams. Starting center, two-year deal. This should be another one, Danny, where he would be tradable immediately if they wanted to go that route. Uh, because he's not getting too much of a raise, it's only yeah. It's not an
2: extended trade, yeah. So it should it should be fine there. And so with with Adams and this to me, we talked about the that he got above what we expected for. This is an eminently reasonable deal for me. Like from Adams, I'm we've see, I appreciate his offensive value more with the screens he sets. I thought he was a was an important avenue for Jab Morant last year. This is honestly to me, as we're looking at where the where the league's finances are going. This is backup big money, like third big money. And so that means if they can bring in somebody or internal development where Steven Adams isn't necessarily your starter, but is a part of the rotation, you should be fine with it and another team should be fine with it as long as he doesn't get hurt or age particularly poorly.
1: Yeah, the one thing I'd say in terms of it being backup money is, you know, he's not a combo big. Right. But so it's a little harder to play him big minutes as a backup. But again, I expect him to be the... Start the game, but maybe don't finish it. Uh, center for right. He can he
2: groups. can play the third most minutes for a big, whether he actually starts or not.
1: Speaking of extensions for backup bigs, we moved to New Orleans now.
2: Right, and Larry Nance. I believe I believe it came out like. I don't know what hour or something before the Stephen Adams news two years 21.6 million dollar contract extension and this one you know it, it for Larry dance good to get that security he's battled injuries and he has Crohn's disease right I know he has an yes an, and so I mean and you and I have both been thrilled and surprised by his development as a player you know becoming from someone that I thought was overhyped when he was on the Lakers and early on the Cavs to a much better defender and a more balanced offense Offensive player as well. So good for him to get that security for two years. And for the Pelicans, this becomes an indicator. We're getting closer to definitive, except that you can always duck it, that they're going to pay the tax in 23 24 because they're under it this year. But then Zion's massive extension kicks in. They've already extended CJ as well and though that doesn't kick in until 2425 and they have Ingram who's already making big money and so nance he you know 12 13 billion a year is very or actually it's even less than that is is very reasonable to 10.8 very reasonable, but you know, that's that's third big money, and you have these other guys that are getting there. So uh, really happy for Nance. I think this establishes him over Jackson Hayes as the other guy in their like the third big in their front court rotation. And maybe Jackson Hayes gets you know, he gets that spot sometimes. And I think he's a vastly superior player to Hayes. So I'm happy that it looks like David Griffin and the Pels are making a commitment.
1: I think it's time to break out a Watfo here. This is very forward looking. I just thought of this right now as you said it. Okay. The odds that the New Orleans Pelicans do pay the tax in 23-24.
2: In 23-24. So we of can right give... now,
1: Here, here, here I'll, I'll yeah, I'll give you guys a quick uh we don't have the nance extension in our sheet yet, but eyeballing it here looks like they'll be about 3 million over the tax with 12 players assuming their draft pick so if they get in the five six million range now one thing we'll have to recall too maybe the luxury tax formula gets changed i think it should get changed both in terms of well, it, is, it is still more of a percentage over the cap, so th- that doesn't necessarily need to get changed. But I do think the gradations KP, I think, was the first one that I saw come up with this publicly. The gradations of it going up every five million need to change because when that first came in, the cap was 50 million, and now it's going to be like 150 million by the time most of this deal kicks in. So it should probably be gradations of like 10 or 15 million, or you just it doesn't go up as punitively or something like that. So Things could change here. I doubt that the distribution aspect will change, though. And they also, obviously, are going to be wanting to build in designs Prime. So I, I think, as of right now, it looks like it would add up to them paying the tax. We don't know exactly what the system is going to be. That would also be with no Jackson Hayes next year as well. And you know, they have a few other guys. However... I think there's very little chance they'll pay the tax next year. I think I'll put it at 15%. They have a bunch of assets going forward still. We've seen them use those assets to get off of money before. Uh, Devontae Graham will be in the last fully guaranteed year of his year at $12, 12 million. Kyra Lewis makes 5.7. I think something will happen, and I guess we won't know the answer to this fully, Danny, until the end of the 24 season. So this is going pretty far away yeah. right now. But I would be very surprised. I don't think it would make sense, honestly, for them to pay the tax that year. So I'm going to only go with a 15% chance they pay the tax next year
2: i'm going a little higher at 25 because jackson hayes if they, if they like him enough he could potentially push that a little bit though you could theoretically maybe move alan Chunis. and the big part of it is Devonte graham they could just stretch him so because he has that partially guaranteed year you would be stretching roughly 15 million over five years and with the cap rising that's not that big a hit and so if that gets you under or theoretically, if you make another move, I don't know exactly what that would be. Maybe it's something involving Kyra Lewis, depending on how his year goes. And then you could potentially use the full non-tax pair, which the Pelicans are incredibly deep right now, but you know that could potentially add a rotation player for them. So yeah, 25% just because things could go well. There might be somebody that they need to give compensation to, or they do an imbalanced trade. But my expectation would be if they, the first year they pay the tax, should they pay, it will be 24, 25
1: so, back to Nance himself and his extension. Surely Moxie Kleba's extension was a data point here. They're somewhat similar players with good feet, solid athletes, but somewhat waning athletes, have some offensive versatility, can play the four and the five. I think Nance is not as good as Kleba. I think Kleba's a little bit better defensively. And also Kleba is a more reliable shooter from the outside. Nance does a little bit more passing, better offensive rebounder. So they're pretty similar players. Nance is a little bit more of an injury history. So his was only for two instead of three, uh, but right about the same money. But And then the other thing, of course, that makes this, and this would actually be something I'd be negotiating for as the players too, is just try to get that mid-level exception bumped up a little bit because particularly in this environment where not a lot of teams have cap space and particularly for players that, are good players, but really only fit on winning teams. And winning teams just aren't, don't seem like they're trending towards having cap space. Maybe that'll change as the cap goes up. But uh, these next few years, at least, it's going to be that way. You can go to a player like Kleber or Nance and be like, hey, like, where are you? You can't get more than the mid level exception elsewhere. You know, PJ Tucker, you can't get more than the mid level exception elsewhere. So that's what ends up being basically they get extended for about the mid level exception. They get their money now. I think with Nance's injury history, that's a good thing. And, you know, again, given where the cap is going for third big money, who's probably even going to close some games for you. I think Nance probably is going to close games at center for the Pels. They're going to at least try that. A, a pretty good deal for New Orleans. They are very locked in with this and the CJ. I mean, they were so locked in below the tax this year, like hard up against it, that they didn't sign a single player from outside the organization who wasn't a rookie. Yeah, Um. so they they are very locked into this group, but I don't know that having Nance be a free agent instead of extending him was going to change things. It's, you know, it's been more of the CJ trade. Once that happened, this was who they're going to be rolling with. And then this also, you know, they've still got Jonas Valanciunas uh, for two more years uh, as well, including this one. So they're pretty locked in uh, and they've got assets to make some moves. I think that's, that's the other thing is like when you have draft picks, then yeah, you, it's a lot easier to trade some guys. So, well, and uh, one like, the... I just want to see, I, I, it just seems like new Orleans is like taking a little bit of a victory lap on what they did last year. Maybe they'll be really good. and It won't matter though.
2: One other thing I want to note with these is both Adams and Nance Jr. were allowed to sign extensions during the season because if you're a veteran on an expiring contract, assuming you're extension eligible for other reasons, you can sign that up until the start of free agency, until the league year turns over the next year. Like You could structure it as an extension. We saw Gary Harris actually do that with the Magic. It was an extension rather than a new contract. And the, so you could argue that that is it's great for the players. You lock up that security early, and from the team perspective, with both Adams and Nance, you wonder if additional information, how healthy they stayed, how the teams fared this year, would have been useful. But you know we've seen various examples over the last couple of years where maybe waiting you co- cost you more money. And I think both Adams and Nance, like there was a possibility they were going to get more in free agency, in part because, you know, money, the evaluation of money is changing and because we'll see what kind of flexibility, but it's interesting. Like just these were a lot of times you see that deadline of the, like the start of the season or the rookie scale extension one, which will come up later in the month. Those will push you towards deals. But as a practical consideration, this does happen where player and team just don't want it hanging over them. And so they just get it done.
1: Yeah, also worth noting that with Nance making 9.7 this year, this is not, I don't think, the most they could have given him. They could have started him, I mean, unless it's declining, in which case maybe it starts at the most they could have given him. We don't know exactly, I don't think, the precise structure that he agreed to on that two-year $21 million deal. But in the total amount of money he's being paid is a little bit less than the most that they could have given him. Let's get to these trades.
2: Yes, we can do that and starting
1: in chronological order i guess since both involved the thunder
2: yeah so the the first one was smaller in terms of players and contracts doled out that was oklahoma city sending vit creachy to atlanta for Mo harkless and a second round pick the primary impetus of that from the hawks perspective was presumably to get out of the luxury tax and you know because harkless makes more than creachy he also is partially guaranteed we will find out over the course of the next couple weeks whether this was purely financial for Atlanta, whether they think they have something with the former Thunder man. And Harkless, though, has he's already in a different destination. So we could talk about this trade from I guess from the Hawks perspective. They're they're what about one point three below now?
1: Yes. In theory there are Possibly reachable incentives for Clint Capella and DeJounte Murray. One of the ones for Capella is making the conference finals. So surely the Hawks would be happy to pay the tax there. You could also see them making some smaller moves if it looks like, you know, one of DeJounte Murray's is uh, make 125 threes. Again, Dan broke this down expertly it by email. Another one for Murray is 58% true shooting. So, But Atlanta is probably going to be out of the woods now. They also, Krejci has basically almost exactly half of his salary guaranteed, so they could basically keep him on for half the year as he actually gets paid that money and then right around the league cut down date, they will be able to either guarantee him for the season, then he has two more non-guaranteed years after the season too, or they could just move on from him to a team that would immediately cut him later on also. And there's a few other guys they have too. I, I think one one small note here that we can hope at least, some were like, well, you know, Jalen Johnson's going to be in competition with Mo Harkless for that backup power forward slot. Looks like now it's going to be Johnson that they'll be relying on in at least somewhat of a rotation role to start the season
2: and the thunder for their part they added some salary and picked up a second-round pick which is which is draft asset yeah and,
1: and let's start with the mechanics here um because they, they did a number of things they had a 4.9 million dollar disabled player exception for chet holmgren uh, which is it's basically half your salary or the mid-level exception, uh, whichever is smaller. And, but you can only use that, of course, to pick up a player in the last year of their contract or to sign a player So uh, to a one-year deal. So they're able to grab Harkless into that exception, which is something that just was generated due to the Holmgren issue. And then they make this next trade to Generate a $10 million trade exception just due to the mechanics and the way they're kind of able to move things around in those deals with this Derek Favors deal, which we'll talk about in a second. But to take that disabled player exception where you can't take on someone beyond this year and turn that into a $10 million trade exception, which is now the largest in the NBA, while also remaining relatively salary neutral and picking up an asset all for players that you didn't really care very much about. Uh, and they stayed so salary neutral, essentially, so that now you can take on another $10 million in salary, not be worried about the tax, not, you know, keep money in your owner's pocket for a team that's not any good. Just that overall run through, very impressive work by the Thunder to kind of create something out of
2: nothing. Absolutely. And that ties in with the second deal. So in the second trade, the Thunder sent Derek Favors, Mo Harkless, who they had just acquired, but that's allowed because of the CBA rules in terms of kind of it it wasn't with aggregation and everything. Don't I don't think we need to go all the way into that. Ty Jerome, Tail Maladon, and a second round pick. I believe we've seen a couple different phrasings on which second round pick it is. I think it's actually a 26 pick. It was originally reported as 25. Anyway, one of the myriad seconds that OKC has. In exchange for David Nwaba, Sterling Brown... Trey Burke and Marquise Chris. And part of the reason why I think focusing on the salary mechanics of this, partially, is, is interesting, but also, like, this is the highest volume of players in a trade I can ever think of where I firmly believe that, knowing what we know right now, no more than one player in this deal is going to be on their current, their new team for longer than the current season. Like, it's just because most of them are on expiring contracts. Some of them have non guarantees beyond that. Some of Tiger Robes already been winning and also it's weird because both these teams need to clear they I mean, need to they they have more guaranteed contracts than they have fif- than, than 15 so it, how they square this up is going to be different than we expected
1: yeah I think there is a purpose for Derek Favors in Houston they just don't really have a solid vet big. like Popon, uh, obviously is a good guy a good locker room guy but not someone who's really has played a big role in the league. Meanwhile, Derek Favors didn't play much. Maybe he'll be rejuvenated after being on ice most of last year. And he'll be looking to get another contract, at least stay in the league as a backup big. So just to have a backup center who knows what he's doing on defense should be useful. Someone who can kind of show Alperen Shingun the ropes. He's obviously going to be starting at center. I think it will be useful. And then I, I agree with you. Favors probably won't finish the season on on the Rockets. But I could see him getting some rotation time early on. They also have Usman Garuba, who looks like really their only other playable backups. And I mean, I imagine maybe they'll play Boban some just because early on. But they were pretty short on experienced big men and just to, to have another good vet in the room, especially if they trade Eric Gordon, I think be useful for the Rockets. Let's just scroll down the alphabet here to next in line from Oklahoma City. And, and by the way, Houston did this for the pick and Oklahoma City traded almost all of the cash that the extra seven point four million they took on Oklahoma City gave them six point four million. So
2: Yeah, and Houston yeah. Houston had a mile under the tax. So if they basically got the money offset, then they got a pick for it.
1: Yeah, exactly, I mean, and they did it for only basically taking on a million in, in actual cash. And you know, Houston obviously is going to cut a number of these guys. It's already talked that Ty Jerome is going to end up competing for a roster spot in Golden State. You were a though at, at this news out of Orlando.
2: Yeah, the casual mention to some extent that Jonathan Isaac, yeah, he's coming back during the 22-23 season. We're we're basically 2 years out from his injury, right?
1: Yeah, it happened in August. Well, it, it, He first had that, uh, I think it was a joint capsule issue in early 2020, came back with the knee brace on, tore his ACL, and I think did a bunch of other damage to his knee too, with that knee brace on at the end of a meaningless game in the bubble, and hasn't played then in two years. Remember though, he suffered a hamstring issue, and I think he had to have surgery on that hamstring in March. During so, his
2: comeback,
1: yeah. Yeah. So, and I think he was, you know, trying to ramp up in the, because you know, normal timeline for ACL, he would have played just at the start of last year. And I think they were taking it really easy. They, he'd had so many issues and they wanted to make sure he was good. And then uh, right after he, he talked to the media, he tore up his hamstring apparently. He had to have surgery. And so I would guess that's now the issue. He's been seen like getting shots up. You know, he's he's ambulatory. He's out there, but yeah, it doesn't seem like he'll be ready to start the season, so it'll be we kind of wonder where Chumo KK was going to fit in as a backup now presumably he's going to be their first guy uh, off the bench at backup forward
2: presumably. And and they are saying it's a matter of when, not if for Isaac, but I'll believe it when I see it. And then Another kind of when is is Gary Harris, because he had left meniscus surgery about, about four weeks ago, and he's getting up shots, but we don't have an exact timeline yet on Harris. And then Markel Fultz has that fracture in his, I believe it's his left big toe.
1: Yeah, but it doesn't seem like that is going to be serious. Continuing down, we'll just go in uh, alphabetical order. Uh, Furkan Korkmaz noted that he had nerve damage in his right hand that caused him to mess up his mechanics and uh, impacted his rhythm as a shooter, so he shot only 24% from three after the All-Star break. And Korkmaz, definitely a guy with defensive limitations in the playoffs, but he's played a totally decent role as a shooter during the regular season and just as a reasonable depth piece for him to just be unplayable last year was a blow, and so hopefully this... uh, will enable him to get back in there and, and hopefully not have to run you know the likes of pj tucker who doesn't play his position but is a guy who's going to play on the perimeter uh you and the more guys you have there the easier it is they can play tobias harris more power forward if they have guys who can play the smaller positions and push him there
2: we've known that jay crowder issued a trade request and it appears that the inspiration for that was the Suns telling him during the offseason that he could lose his starting job to Cameron Johnson, which has since been basically announced by them. And the Suns haven't found a deal yet, but it appears this time is over. Now, I think the Suns really need Jay Crowder. I think that it, it him wanting to be a starter, you know, I, you want to do right by him. He's helped kind of help with the culture change there for sure. But I think a Crowder trade is going to make them worse. So you see what you can do and – I mean, it's notable that it hasn't happened yet. Because there have to be teams that are interested. And I don't know that the offers yeah. are going to change significantly.
1: Yeah, and it is a weird thing because, yeah, they want to get back someone who can play. But why the only people who are going to be interested in Jay Crowder are those who are trying to be well this year. So why are they going to give up someone be well this year? Well, wow. be good this year. Man, this is uh, a little rusty here. Spent had a nice uh, nice little vacation <laughs> the last few days. So, again, it's just hard to make trades between two good teams like this maybe and jay's not going to garner a first round pick most likely like the other issue in addition to him not starting is just that they had no interest in extending him because they have all this money on the books now from ayton and they're 15 million over the tax this year and going into next year they're basically right at the tax but with very few players and they They've got the Cam Johnson extension coming up. That'll probably push them over the tax, depending on what the number is. But I think it'll either be there or close to there, again, with only eight players under contract, including a draft pick for next year. So I think they just felt like, hey, we can't commit to Jay Crowder. Whereas my thought would have been, hey, throw uh, would it have been enough to just throw him this Larry Nance extension? Uh, again, backup forward money.
2: And then you figure it out eventually.
1: Yeah, would that have been enough to mollify him, or is he looking for more than that? Which, yeah, that's probably not realistic. I mean, seeing what guys like PJ Tucker and Nance Kleba are getting, you know, I don't think Jay Crowder is going to get more than that. Maybe you know, maybe he could get the. It's too bad that there aren't teams that have cap space now that are good, because then you could be like, okay, we'll give you know a one year fifteen million, second year non guaranteed type of deal to get paid more in the first year, and then maybe you earn the right to stick around. What else we got here?
2: We'll see what happens in the camp battle for the Portland Trailblazers. But Nasir Little is going to compete for that starting small forward spot. Josh Hart presumably is going to be in that and a few others. And there are going to be a couple of camp battles that we're going to that we're going to enjoy, keeping an eye on. And one of those is also figuring out what the hell is going on in Sacramento because according to Mike Brown, new head coach, De'Aaron Fox devonta savonis and harrison barnes are the only guaranteed starters for now my thought has been that keegan murray is going to get the other starting forward spot but then there are a lot of options for the other backcourt spot and it could even theoretically you could expand it to you know barnes plays the four with newcomers malik monk and kevin Herter, but also davion mitchell who they drafted within the lottery a year ago
1: in san antonio josh primo has an mcl sprain in his left knee but san antonio says that both Primo and Keldon Johnson with that shoulder are expected to be available for the start of the regular season. So that's a grade one MCL sprain. If so, when I talked with Noah McGarrett-George, he was thinking that there's some possibility that Primo is going to play point guard, maybe even possibly be the starting point guard. That looks like it's probably not going to happen now if he's going to be out of camp and not able to compete. Maybe it'll happen later on. It seems like Trey Jones is going to be the point guard there, and I guess if Primo's not ready to start the season, it'll be Blake Wesley's backup point guard, who I like, but also uh, you know probably not who you want as a steady hand at the tiller to start things off. Tony Jones of The Athletic said that the Jazz are probably more likely now to extend Jordan Clarkson than to trade him because he can help build the culture that they're looking for. I think a lot depends, too, on what happens with Mike Conley. They've still got Malipa. They actually have, like, a ton of small guards, but I think I guess they, they like what Jordan Clarkson brings. And we still don't know, know, really. Hopefully, I'll get a chance to talk to someone from Utah the next couple days on the show to get an idea of like hey what's actually going to happen with some of this backcourt depth and who's going to be part of the plan going forward who isn't what else we got here
2: tom thibodeau told media i think it was kind of on media day so the early part of the preseason that evan fournier is the front runner for the starting shooting guard position and remember that quentin grimes who had a, an impressive rookie year i really liked him they didn't they refused to include him in Donovan Mitchell trades. And then that preliminarily he is not the starting two guard. Though it is important to note that Quentin Grimes has been in a walking boot due to left foot soreness. Though he is only day-to-day. So this isn't something that would prevent him from being a starter.
1: Yeah, I think he just got out of the walking boot, but you would think it'll take him at least another week to ramp up. And if he's going to miss a lot of the preseason, it's not going to have much of a chance to outstrip Fournier for that starting position. And you do run into the issue of what do you do with Fournier now if he's not starting? Maybe he can have a bounce back here. He's a better trade asset. But uh, obviously Knicks fans are apica- apoplectic about that. Memphis, Jaron Jackson Jr. said at media day that he's not going to be available opening night in... All likelihood, but he suggests that he's actually ahead of the team's stated timeline, which really was trending towards midwinter. When I talked to Chris Harrington, he seemed to think that that was the organizational understanding as well, that he's a little bit ahead of schedule. And you know, so maybe sometime in November might be a possibility for Jackson, but he's been a slow healer in the past. So we're not going to count our chickens before they're hatched there.
2: We still don't have a resolution on Kemba Walker because so he is away from the team as training camp opens. It seems like a part of that might be that Walker is he he doesn't want to Give up too much in a buyout before he knows that he has a landing place and ideally a positive one. Remember, that's what happened when he negotiated the buyout from Oklahoma City was a significant reduction because he knew how much the Knicks were going to pay him. And now he's trying to get, you know, trying to get out of the contract that the Knicks signed him to. So we'll have to see there. Functionally, the deadline here is October 17th because that's the limit for roster spots and the, the Pistons are actually over the limit right now it would be bizarre for them to burn a roster spot on a player that they intend to immediately buy out.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess he can just be trade fodder, but they've got guys who can be matching salary on this team still. Once, uh, once Marvin Bagley gets past January 15th, I, I think they could should feel okay about that. They've got Alec Burks. They've got New Orleans Noel still as matching salary. They got Killian Hayes, Kevin Knox. So they've got... They don't need really that for Walker if they want to make another relatively low level a deal. They've got Bogdanovich as well who who might end up being traded. So yeah, if you're Kemba Walker, why take any less with the buyout? You if I I'm, maybe the Pistons have offered him, hey, we'll buy you out now for you know minimum offset. If you're Kemba Walker, you'd be like, hey, you're gonna buy me out? You're gonna just waive me at the start of the year anyway? You haven't even issued me a number. You're, you're really gonna keep a waste a roster spot on me just because and, and try to negotiate this down like. You just wave me and then I can get my money when I go somewhere else too.
2: Also in Detroit news... Killian Hayes, that fourth-year team option, because you have to decide those a year ahead. We will see a lot more of those rookie-scale option decisions over the next few weeks, but the Pistons announced theirs early, and they picked up Killian Hayes, $7.4 million for the 23-24 season, and then he would theoretically, if they make a qualifying offer, be a restricted free agent after that. This one's more significant because the Pistons have so little guaranteed money on their books for 23-24, so paying him means that you know takes potentially 7.4 million off their books but they have continued to be Killian Hayes Optimus.
1: well I think if they were close to the tax or something or even even if they were slated to have say 25 million in cap space this would have been more of a decision for this front office but you might say hey just decline the option you can always pay him and bring him back maybe he'll break out oh he's, have you seen his defense by the way Danny uh, I, I don't think he's gonna break out but this is even probably more about the optics for the front office and realistically they don't need that 7.4 million next year they even with him they can get to 65 million dollars in space next year and hey you know what if you really need to get to 70 you could just wave and stretch the guy <laughs> <laughs> they'll be fine they have very little on their books going forward they don't have anyone right now uh who makes more than 12 and a half million after this season they don't even have plenty of money to bring back boy on if they wanted to keep him around and do whatever they're gonna do so I'm. When uh, I mean, we saw, they didn't exactly set the world on fire with what they did with their cap space this year. So I, I think it's fine keeping Hayes around. If I mean, frankly, if you're in the front office, why take that PR hit at the moment? And maybe there's a chance that he works out and. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's far I mean, too long on Killian Hayes.
2: Yeah, my the only thing I'll say there is generally speaking for me, I use I call it the haunting test, where it's like, will will you be haunted by only being able to pay him seven point four million for next year? If it really works out, like you know, Furkan on Corkmaz or Cavanduline, like there have been players that have resigned with it. And my instinct is no, but I've been wrong on him before. No one's Noelle's battling plantar fasciitis. Hopefully, he can make it back. And speaking of making it back, yeah, it Gugalo. kind of seemed
1: though like he's not gonna be ready for the start of season. He's missing yeah. camp. Like he, he's Oh, he, oh no. That's... What
2: what are the Pistons gonna do with their uh, with all those big minutes? They have no one to fill them. Even though I think Noel might actually be the best of their centers.
1: Well, if he were healthy, which he just right. has not been able to be. And out of Chicago, Lonzo Ball did have another surgery now. And he had said, I can't really run or jump. I can't play basketball. He had pain going upstairs. This is another debridement. We didn't really get a great idea. I shouldn't say another debridement because he had a meniscus from the first time. I think this was even kind of exploratory surgery. There is optimism that he can return after the first of the year. That he was going to be reevaluated in four to six weeks. But especially with something like this, that's pretty meaningless. They're going to ramp him up surely, very slowly. Let's turn to Brooklyn now. And there's been a lot of kumbaya stuff out of there to the extent it was going to happen. KD, it sounded like he was mollified by the failure of his trade request because Brooklyn was like, well, we can't give you away, and it's interesting, he kind of had that thinking, it sounded like, when he had to agree to the sign-in trade with Golden State, but it was kind of warped, but he was like, he wanted Golden State to have to give up something to do the sign-in trade, but that would have indicated that if they were doing that, that D'Angelo Russell was worth more than him in the double sign-in trade, if the draft pick was going with him, obviously the draft pick was going to Brooklyn because Golden State just needed to create the trade exception to get d'angelo russell given where they were so that was part of what they're paying for but if you just look at asset in asset out it actually does that trade does look like d'angelo russell is more valuable than kevin durant so but clearly there's something he's kind of been prickly about before and so He's like, yeah, you know, I understand you can't just give me away. It's like, it seems like an odd reason to, they couldn't get enough for me. And so that's why you shouldn't trade me. Like if you make a trade request, you think you, you uh want out of there regardless of what the, the return is going to be. But I guess it seems like he's been mollified there. The team looks good. Ben Simmons is been fully cleared early on in camp. Steve Nash says he doesn't care whether he either shoots a jumper or not. This team is kind of built hopefully to accommodate that unless he's playing with Nick Claxton and but Simmons is supposed to not necessarily even have a minutes limit to start uh, if things keep trending this way he said he's responded well so far what else we got from these guys in terms of just some of this injury stuff
2: T.J. Warren will not be ready to start the year um Nash said that they're going to assess again in November um the so the the phrasing seems to be that T.J. Warren's foot is fully healed but he still has more rehab work to do that gets a little bit murky but hopefully he'll be back at some point you and I both love T.J. Warren they the next the Nets also signed Markeith Morris, who can be a part of their front ro- front court rotation. I still don't love him as a, like, trying to defend at the five. Like, there's still this question about how the, the, the Nets have added a lot of different things, but they don't have anybody who can space the floor and also protect the rim at all. So, but that's hard to get for the minimum. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult question to to deal with and yeah. they've, they've and, tried...
1: and got some non-guarantees yes as well he does. at least he's a guy who in theory can be a stretch four or five type just all we need is someone to just stand in the corner and make an occasional shot and not suck on defense which i don't know whether morris can <laughs> fulfill that role or not but at least it's a theoretical attempt at finding that player which i think unlocks the best of this group
2: the nets also have cleared joe harris whose absence i think was was kind of underappreciated overall for why the Nets were so flawed last year. But Seth Curry is not all the way back. He is, according to Curry, 85 to 90% healthy after undergoing left ankle surgery.
1: The saga of David Duke Jr., he did not want to sign a two-way. He waited, he waited, he didn't get any kind of a offer sheet. I think he probably should have. I don't know why it is that nobody will ever make an offer sheet to a guy who's on a two-way. I think there's only ever been one that I can think of which was Ty Wallace which admittedly didn't work out but still I think he's a guy who would have been a good minimum flyer instead he's just going back on another two-way which he kind of had to just cave on that and the Celtics now have uh well actually let's start with the latest developments with uh, Ime Yudoka where uh, Woj reported would had been out in non-sports outlets that the woman with whom Ime Yudoka had a relationship was, in fact, a subordinate, which definitely makes things a lot worse, particularly when we're talking about a head coach. And while they did, at one point, have a consensual relationship, the conduct that was deemed objectionable, certainly by the organization and this law firm, was that he made, apparently, lewd comments. He used crude language, was the quote from Woj, and I imagine it's uh of the sort that a man will sometimes send to a woman that he is attempting to woo but uh maybe maybe not in the most romantic way so the fact that a relationship did result perhaps there's a feeling that even that was due to the power imbalance and the fact that these comments were made was not okay certainly that's violating every hr handbook in the world to do that and i I think that completely explains why this had to be done i mean I, I don't really have much of a problem with the suspension it's really just a, a shame that May yudoka was this irresponsible uh, and just fucked up a good thing but like they don't he didn't leave them much choice it seems like and woge did say they won't be getting in the way of yudoka looking for other jobs during this period the idea of him going back potentially i mean you know the other issue is like I'm not sure whether the woman still works with the Celtics or not, but you know, obviously having her go back to do the same job with Yudoka that's not really possible anymore due to the way that he conducted himself. It seems like to the point where she had to complain and being reassigned elsewhere in the organization. Like that's, forcing someone to do a different job because of this conduct by the person who has more power in the organization like that's not fair that's just something that you can't do that's going to open you up to potential legal liability I and mean, it's just it had to happen when you consider all, all this stuff
2: we'll also see my, my theory my theory of why there hasn't been a more final resolution on this yet is because I think they're building up the argument to fire him for cost and so then at that point you don't have to pay the remainder of the contract Um, that's my theory of it and also maybe there's still a value like there's the, the, we don't know everything it's all ways and something you and I cautioned when we talked about this a couple weeks ago is like there's more information that in this case we don't even know if the Celtics know everything but there's more information that they know than we know so those who got who got very aggressive defending Ime Udoka in the early going it's like there's a reason you don't do that before all the facts are out because things can things can shift let's put it that way the Celtics have responded to their absences in the front court by signing Blake Griffin to a fully guaranteed contract for the upcoming season with Robert Williams missing an extended period of time and Danilo Gallinari likely missing the entire regular season. They needed somebody else. I would have loved for them to add more of a center, but Griffin is a good basketball player. Who I think fits in really well with their ball movement offensively, defensively. We'll have to see, but he's a backup. Like that's totally fine.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I could. I, I think he brings some skills. I don't know if I would. You might have just been rambling on there to, when you called him a good basketball player at this point. I mean, no, I, like, no, I said he's, he's a good, he's a good he's, he's a good,
2: he's a good fit for their offense. I that's see, yeah,
1: okay, okay, yeah. So in any event, yeah, he, I think using him in that Al Horford hub role makes a lot of sense on offense. His big problem with the Nets last year was he couldn't make shots, right? I think if he could actually hit three-pointers at a reasonable rate and spread the floor, then, you know, he's not going to kill you as a backup center. And the defense, it's obviously going to be a problem, I think. You know, we'll, we'll see. Like, they're, he gives them more of an option of not wearing out Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown at the four. They need another body. There was talk that maybe that Luke Cornett even could start for these guys in Rob's place. But now he's out with an ankle injury for a couple of weeks as well. We can close here by talking about some of the stuff affecting the NBA. First off, M- Matisse Theibel and a few others around the league, Kyrie Irving, can rejoice that Canada is lifting vaccine requirements for people entering the country. So, and I mean, that actually was probably a pretty big advantage at home for Toronto last year of just certain players not being able to play or... The other thing, too, is there are all these coronavirus restrictions, like Ty Liu got stuck in Canada. And so you saw, like, for example, the Warriors just, like, didn't send a bunch of guys there. Obviously, Boston famously didn't send guys there either who may have been unvaccinated or maybe were resting. Or because they couldn't send the unvaccinated guys, hey, it was not worth bringing everyone else, so let's just rest everybody. And then we don't want to test positive there, be stuck there for seven days. But now it seems like that will no longer be the case. And I think at this point, that's I'm okay with that the points of education are out that's always a good video i recommend you watch it but monty mccutcheon went on and went through with his usual explanation of the points of education same stuff with non-basketball moves as we saw last year that's going to continue to be emphasized that's a good thing the one thing that i find kind of difficult there he showed this example of trey young driving and I think it was Terry Rozier who kind of reached across his body had got a forearm on his chest and then Trey after that hooks his arm going up that was called an offensive foul on Trey which I get it that should be an offensive foul if he's initiating the contact however I think in a lot of those cases the reason that the guy is able to hook the arm is because illegal contact has already occurred and it hasn't been called and so that's generally what the that evolved to highlight the illegal contact to the referees. And so that's that's going to be a very difficult call, I think, going forward. The off-arm push-off, I think they've gotten more and more sane about this one, where it doesn't have to be, oh, you're actually extending at the elbow. Now, really, if you deliver a significant blow, I think, with your forearm, that bent forearm it's more likely to be called. This is another one. Let's see how much it gets enforced. Freedom of movement on with respect to moving screens where defenders have to be able to see the screen, have room to get around it. There definitely are plenty of guys who get away with a ton on screening. We'll see if there is a crackdown there. That's something I think Seth has been pretty adamant about. Uh, They also highlighted the roll to the basket illegal screen that just happens to plow through the guy trying to go under the screen at the same time
2: appropriate to do that right after the boston celtics discussion
1: (laughs) so that's but that's a little bit different one that's not necessarily the gortat where you roll into your own man rolling down this is the you set the screen the guy goes under and so you just decide i'm going to roll to the basket right then and you're now yeah i guess that is different yeah you're blocking the progress of the guy you were screening but who then is trying to go under So you can't just roll right into that guy and just be continuing to set a moving screen. Uh, The Theo Pinson rule, where standing in front of the bench for an extended period of time, there will first be a warning, then a delay of game, then a second delay of game into a technical foul. Spontaneous reactions are allowed, though. You're allowed to stand up and cheer, but then you have to sit back down or uh, obviously right at the end of the game. But to just be standing the entire time, something that pissed off the fans in the expensive seats and basically those teams were just doing it to be annoying and so uh they have now changed that to where it's not just going to be a fine afterwards although it could be a fine afterwards as well but it's going to actually hurt your team on the floor now to keep doing that and so that should end it you would think that we'll probably see a number of early warnings and then delay games before teams actually finally stop doing it uh and then finally also a, a probably refinement, I guess, of this thing with bench players and coaches trying to overtly distract opponents. Any bench player or assistant coach who does that, that is an immediate technical foul, supposedly. And so I I think we're going to see that at the end of some game, like some guy's going to get a technical early on.
2: And it's going to drive somebody crazy. And we also got, which of course you and I are thrilled about it. And even if this is a step in the right direction, rather than the perfect solution, according to Joe Dumars, who is now the head of basketball operations for the NBA, he told Mark Jones that there were 1,700 transition take fouls last season.
1: Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> i wish we could have known who gave the most of them. my money would have been on uh d'angelo russell all maybe, of the jazz <laughs> yeah maybe or ricky rubio might have been the uh, the permanent leader uh yeah mike conley
2: joe Ingles.
1: yeah yeah so at any event yeah good to see and, and hopefully that will be enough to eradicate it we'll see whether it is or not and, but I think if it's not, then they'll just change it so the penalty is enough. I think this is one where they didn't want to go too far to create some unintended consequences in the other direction where it was really swinging games. They want to see if this is enough to stop it. And I respect that even though I would have made the penalty a little bit more severe personally. All right, that will do it for today. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back with more season outlooks the rest of the week here. Until then. Well, last week I said that Chris Fedor was the most in-demand writer in NBA podcasting, but certainly right up there as well. Maybe even more in demand. We'll see as the beat writer for another of these new look Twin Towers teams now, Minnesota Timberwolves, and that's John Krasinski of The Athletic. How you doing, man? Doing great. How's it going, Nate? Uh, doing well. Getting pretty excited for the start of the season. Going to go on like one last little vacation here uh, and then dive right into the the old preseason. It's going to be one of the more interesting preseasons in a while, even. Uh, so this Wolves team going to be a top five watch early on. Uh, you were at, at Media Day yesterday. Any kind of broad takeaways uh, from that as they go into this new look era with Rudy Gobert?
3: Yeah, I mean, I do think that one of the most interesting things, I mean, obviously, we'll get to just the overall experiment of the two big lineup and the logic and and kind of the the benefits and potential pitfalls and things that come with that but really as someone who's covered this team now for this is my 19th full season um getting ready to cover these guys and I just think that this is as great of expectations that have been on this group coming into a season as I've had since I've covered them and you know they they when they traded for Jimmy Butler the expectations were big of course um, um, but I think this team with the amount of talent that they have coming off of a really good season last year and and just kind of the building enthusiasm about them it's going to be really interesting to watch how all of these guys handle the increased attention the increased pressure, the increased Expectations Will they be able to compartmentalize it and just kind of roll forward um, without it getting in the way? Will it be a little bit of a weight on their shoulders? Because it's just an organization that is just not used to being in this spot. And there was a lot of discussion just about how they handle it, how they kind of go about uh, navigating this new kind of stage where people are going to be paying attention to them and going to be expecting things from them. And so that's just going to be something that I'm watching early just to see how they
1: handle that part of it. It is fascinating because they went all in on this group uh, and uh, they did it with a a 30 year old center who's certainly going to be effective for a while but when you think about him being a defensive player of the year quality player I would I don't think there have been many defensive player of the year candidates who have played you know been beyond you know maybe 31 or 32 it's Mm -hmm. unreasonable probably to expect that beyond these next couple of years Rudy Gobert is going to be at that level so they did this to win now I I mean that is just um that's one reason I was a little bit skeptical of the trade just because i'm like hey do you you got carl towns on our contract for another six years and you got anthony edwards like shouldn't you be aiming more for a couple of years from now but you know i mean we know why they did the trade we need to relitigate that and you've explained that very well in many fora so and rudy gobert is probably the best player that the minnesota timberwolves are ever going to be able to trade for so uh but yeah i mean like they need to be good this year like that if they are not good this season you probably can already mark this trade down as a failure i would like if they're just, you know, the seventh seed and, mm-hmm. and you know, they, they lose in the first round with a whimper, like that's, that, that would be a problem. Like, a, you know, I think this team has the potential to be above that, but they, we just don't know having not seen them all together yet.
3: Yeah. It, it's a great point. It's go time now. I think the next two years, specifically to maximize what they can do and then hey if if Rudy ages well and and everything goes goes well in the year three and four great like that's that's really good and and that will help things and I do think that there can be a plan sort of put in place where on the back end of that deal maybe it's more of Anthony Edwards team at, you know at that point maybe he's ready at 24 25 to really be the main guy that he might not be quite yet at 21 and so you can kind Kind of play through that and 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 navigate around that but right now rudy go bear i think is still an elite defender and you can probably bank on that for another two years And so it is time for them to really make hay with it. Um, I do think that it would be a big disappointment if, even if they just made it to the playoffs and then were bowed out quickly in the first round or meekly, like they want to be a team. And I think they need to be a team that in these next couple of years, they are winning series in the playoffs. Um, Remember for those uh, uh, of the listeners who are not, steeped in Timberwolves history, they this this franchise has been out of the first round of the playoffs one time in 33 years, one time. So um, the, I don't think they go into this saying we have to win a championship to make this successful, but definitely they have to be winning series and ideally a conference finals run in the next couple of years and, and getting Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels and these young guys into higher leverage situations. So maybe they blossom under um at, at from from that experience down the road but uh yeah th- this was definitely a move made to maximize now to throw the window open and and to make a run at it and that's the mentality that they're entering the season with
1: I mean it just we got to talk about what this team is obviously, but maybe this is just too reductive, but you or them would you have done this trade um
3: it's a great question. I think I would have because um, I have seen how difficult it is for them to lure free agents to Minnesota. Um, I've seen how difficult it can be just to acquire talent, whether it's through the draft or whatever. And so I get the idea of grabbing an elite defensive player to come to a team that their two biggest weaknesses were rim protection and rebounding. He's the best there is at that. Um, the, the, The other thing that I like about it is I do think that Rudy Gobert establishes a floor for this team that is the playoffs. And the last thing that the Wolves wanted to do after having a very kind of feel-good season last year and building up some equity in the local market where they have been devoid of that forever and and, and getting some excitement going was to do the Knicks thing and, and take a step back. Um, And 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 kind of delay that way, because number one, you want to build on this fan base that is starting to come back. But number two, and pretty much more importantly, I think they need to get Anthony Edwards as many games in the playoffs as possible in the young part of his career for him to feel what it takes to be uh, in those moments. I think that he has the ability to be one of those players that um can you know be all NBA, you know, maybe a, a few years down the road, uh, when things are going great, maybe he's in the MVP conversation. I think he has that kind of talent physically. He needs to be prepared mentally for all of that. And one of the problems with Carl Anthony Towns, with Kevin Love, with some of the other you know, you know, stars that have come through here is they had so much dysfunction and so much losing early in their careers that I do think. Right. Made it difficult for them in, from a development standpoint, and they don't want to make the same mistake with Anthony Edwards because I do think he has the potential to be that special. So, um, so I get why they did it, and probably if I was if I was in this um in their position, I probably would have done the same thing. Would I have fought maybe a little bit harder to not give all of the picks? Yeah, probably. I think they did absolutely overpay for Rudy Gobert, but in terms of what he brings to the table and what they need, I I do like that i like the fit i like the um the logic behind it and i do think they're going to win a lot of regular season games whereas had they stood pat and just kind of Counted on internal development and growth, there's a real chance that in a very tough Western conference they are in the playing or miss the the playoffs altogether. And I think that would have been very damaging for what this team is trying to build.
1: I think they did a good job of identifying the target for all the reasons you said. And certainly if they wanted to take more of a step for this season, particularly in the regular season, there is no better player that they could have gotten. I just don't know who else was going off this for Rudy Gobert. Like that's the question that I have and i think that you know whatever their process was and it, it was very odd to me you know that you have a new gm come in and be this aggressive when kind of the theory behind tim conley is oh look at this amazing draft and develop mm-hmm. strategy that they've done in denver you know fi- finding all these great gold mine players uh, out of the ether and so that was my thought and it seems like as best i can tell maybe you can disabuse me of this is ron that the reason they gave up so much was it's like well it wasn't necessarily that they had another team that was in that that range. But more just Utah's like, well, we're not trading him unless you yeah. give this much. And I think the direction that they've gone with Donovan Mitchell and just knowing where what Danny Ainge believes in and knowing how what the Jazz were, and then now hearing some of the quotes out of Utah as well about like, hey, we just we had to move on. This team didn't have it. Like, it seemed pretty clear to me that that was their mindset. And so maybe on July first, you know, maybe you, the deal wouldn't have gotten done. Maybe the deal would have gotten done later on. But I think to me, like, because I always think of like, okay, what is the what is the path of not doing and i think there's some legitimate arguments for what you said like hey maybe they take a step back this year again i'm i wouldn't have been as worried about that trying to play the long game i also don't have to deal with the business realities of the market i'm also not a new owner coming in to want to make a splash although that's had mixed results over the years (laughs) in, in various venues but the other path not traveled to me was just let's just wait a little bit and see if we can get this better because i don't think that this deal accounted for the realities of rudy gobert's decline and contract situation where you know I think he is going to be quite overpaid these last couple of years and I don't think that when Anthony Edwards is really ready to win that he's going to be at the level they need him to be uh you know because like if you could just teleport Anthony Edwards three years from now back onto this team Mm -hmm. now you you really got something right that would be okay we're we're ready to win a championship right now I think this is the move you make when you're ready to win a championship I didn't I think you know to you know make some playoff appearances win some series i you That's kind of more like okay, we'll give up something like the package the Hawks gave up for Dejounte Murray, not Mm -hmm. quite this package. So that's the path not traveled is hey, let's just wait, let's see if we can get a better deal now. Like we don't have to do this right now. So that that would have been my thought on it. But um, you know, I I think there's like I'm not going to say this trade isn't going to work. Like this team Mm -hmm. could be unbelievable, and let's start talking about that now. And uh, you know, the Gobert Towns fit. I mean, I'm sure there are a bunch of Mm talk, a lot of talk about that on media day. Like, what do you think that's going to look like both when they're together and and also when presumably those guys would be staggered up here.
3: Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the key parts of this is clearly, I think the plan right now is for the wolves to start with them and to end with them. um And, and they want to stay big for as long as they can throughout these games. And what will be interesting to see Chris Finch in how he reacts to the adjustments that opponents make to them. And I mean, it's easy right now to say, hey, we are going to um, stay big. We're going to get big and stay big, and we're going to make teams match up with us. But then when a team does go small and starts, you know, whipping the ball around the perimeter, shooting a bunch of threes, and you're having trouble closing out to them and you're losing ground that way, it can it can be hard to stick to those principles. So I think that, um, The the, one of the keys to how this will all work or not work is can they really punish? teams offensively when they go small i mean that's the thing that rudy gobert has had trouble with right i mean reggie jackson switching on to him uh in the playoffs with the clippers and and rudy not being able to make them pay things like that um they're going to have to find ways to make sure that they remain efficient and really hard to guard when teams go really small and stick a, a small guy on Gobert small guys have had luck with towns pushing him around a little bit um mm-hmm. on occasion as well. So how they navigate that is going to be key. But I think from a, just a pure offensive fit, uh, there's a lot to like about it I mean towns can spread the floor he's the, he is their best three-point shooter um on the team I think he's going to shoot a lot more threes this year than he did last year which is overall very good
1: and, and for this and team. he doesn't mind that
3: he does not mind that he'll he'll let that fly um and I do think that essentially you're looking at an offense that last season was number two in the league after January 1st. Um, in, in offensive efficiency and what they've done is swap out Jared Vanderbilt for Rudy Gobert, who is just a much better lob threat, um, has much better hands in the post and near the rim. And I think they can really kind of do some damage that way and, and, and be really effective with it. Um, defensively we'll see. Carl Anthony Towns, as much as he wants to shoot threes, he also really believes that he can get out and guard stretch fours and he can close out and he can move around. We will see about that. Um, I do yeah. want to see how that looks in real time because um they do have much better wing defenders than Utah had to help Rudy. I think Jaden McDaniels and Anthony Edwards are both far superior to anything Rudy had in Utah the last year or two. Um, but what they do with Carl Anthony Towns and 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 how they help with each other and how they scramble and how Towns kind of keeps his feet, that's going to be a challenge. And, and Chris Finch is going to have to do a lot of different things And probably experiment with some different looks, drop coverage, high wall, all sorts of different things to see what exactly fits this group the best. But um, that's going to be the one thing that they have a lot to prove on defense that way with what they're going to do with Cat. I think offensively, they're going to be really, really difficult to deal with, um, especially in the regular season with just how they're going to have a lot of different weapons a lot of different uh, ways to hurt you and i think they'll be able to do that
1: yeah, that's fascinating and, and particularly that stat about them being number two on offense after january first i mean and they you know 46 wins a year ago the point differential of a 49 win team granted you can run up some blowouts towards the end of the season against bad teams you know i, I in some ways if, if the team is the same i put a little bit more stock in the first half of the year than the second uh partially for that reason but yeah i mean obviously there's no denying that they got really good towards the end of, of last year it's interesting to me me I think they're going to be better on defense but i it's entirely I going, possible I was going through it yesterday and I still have to try to refine this more I, I try to go through and rank all of the offenses fences league every year mm-hmm. and I have no who's going to be like the best offenses like so, some of the like Utah and Atlanta were the number one and two I think you know, obviously Utah won't be there I think Atlanta will take a step back Golden State was probably the best offense of the playoffs. they were 17th in the regular season last year I think they're actually going to be a lot better you know so and this Wolves team was really good and you're like okay well why why would they be worse this year when you know that starting lineup with Vanderbilt and McDaniels like that's that would just killed people and now you're putting Rudy Gobert in for Vanderbilt who basically does everything Vanderbilt does a lot better though can't defend on the perimeter as, as well but that's mm-hmm. you know he still is a better defensive player I do think their bench Offense is going to be worse, though. Like, that's a little bit of a concern uh, to me. You know, I think like Nas Reed is probably not going to play as much. Like, he actually stretched the floor. And Malik Beasley was gunning like quietly 11 threes for 36 minutes, like one of the highest volume three point shooters in the league. Like, he's not going to play anymore. He was really important to like their transition game as well. Kyle Anderson is like a, a total non shooter. You know, he'll, he'll help them uh, on defense, but probably not too much on offense. You know, Austin Rivers isn't really an offensive player. Um, So it, Jordan McLaughlin had moments in the play playoffs, but he wasn't really very efficient during the regular season last year. So I, I, I do wonder if off the bench, how that's going to look, you know, maybe Carl Towns playing more with the bench can help that, but that's, so I don't know. I, I think Rudy Gobert is so good and they have enough athleticism around. I think this team might be better on defense offense, but I, I really have no clue. That yeah. That's why I'm so interested in this.
3: <laughs> for sure. And, and one of the, I think one of the very surprising stats from this team last year was that they were 13th in the league in defense last year. And that may not seem like, you know, something to write home about, but this is a team that has almost always over the last decade been in the mid to low 20s defensive rating. Uh, that's yeah. including when they had Jimmy Butler and Taj Gibson and and some real like dogs on defense. They still like they, they could never put that together. But last year now they were very much, you know, I, I've called it before a smoke and mirrors type of a defense where they're yeah. just running young athletes around and trying to create turnovers and stuff. And, and it was effective. And so but now you... You bring in Rudy Gobert. You bring you, you. You have another year of development for Jade McDaniel's. I think Anthony Edwards made some big steps last year as an on-ball defender. Has a lot of work to do off the ball, oh, yeah. but he, he was.
1: Very good in that Grizzlies series yes. against Ja Moran. Like Ja it's one of the few guys I've seen jaw attack where like, no, he couldn't get by
3: couldn't do it. Yep. Absolutely. So, so yes, I think they have the tools that way. And D'Angelo Russell is not a good defender, but they found a way to kind of make him like this free safety type who just yeah. used his long arms and got in passing lanes and, and got steals and things. And it worked out. Um, so yeah, I, I think that, you know, I, I think Rudy Gobert is a walking top 10 defense by himself. And then you add some perimeter, real perimeter defenders in Edwards and McDaniels and towns will have his issues, but he does have length. Um, and he probably will be able to, if he can move his feet, will contest shots and make things difficult. And here's the big key on the defensive, my, my case for defensive metrics going up is last year, they were 13th in the league in defense and they were like 29th in rebounding. Um, they they mm. could not end possessions the way they the only way they ended possessions was through creating turnovers and <laughs> yeah. so i i think that this team will with Towns and Gobert in the front court will end possessions much quicker um than they did last year. Brandon Clark everyone will remember just murdered the Wolves on the offensive glass in that oh, yeah. series. And so that you know I think that will help them as well and they won't have to just rely on gambling in the passing lanes and doing things like that to create turnovers. They will be able to be a lot more just solid defensively and I think that can be more consistent and sustainable and so you can you can see them i i do think they could be a top 8 top 5 defense if if it all comes together for them
1: yeah it's interesting And they have a few guys you know, like Anderson, I think will be an interesting pivot point for them between offensive and defensive lineups potentially. But from a schematic standpoint, I like the idea of being pretty similar, particularly with Towns, where you're going to put pressure on the ball. You mentioned the, the high wall, which is most of what they did last year, uh, but because they just didn't want to have guys coming downhill in the pick and roll at Carl Anthony Towns, like he just is not good at that. But now you've just you can have all those four guys in the perimeter fly around, and Rudy Gobert will just be standing at the rim if they do get by people and yeah you know, they were in the bottom 10 in the league last year in terms of, or actually that's not true they are 20th in opponent rim frequency uh and you know when you've got your big out on the perimeter you're going to give up shots at the rim certainly and, and then they also uh, were in the bottom half of the league in opponent shooting percentage at the rim and obviously that's what Rudy Gobert gets away from so I think they probably still will give up a fair number of threes in the regular season but regular season defense—if you can wall off the rim they're gonna to foul a lot less too I think will be really helpful again with Gobert just fewer layups Carl Anthony Towns not being in a position where he's going to pick up as many fouls he, you know we saw what a disaster that was in the playoffs and he was one of the foulingest players in the league last year and they're just gonna have so much size as well I mean when you I've always felt like finding a way to play Edwards at the two would just be so helpful for this team's defense because he's perfectly capable of playing the three but if he has that type of size at the two and now you've got McDaniels at the three I mean this is just going to be a massive massive team and that even if you know towns and russell aren't great defenders like still pretty big for
3: their yeah russell is a big one absolutely he's got long arms he's what six five six four six five and um, and so he has size. Yeah, they, they 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 instantly go from one of the smaller teams in the league last year to one of the biggest teams. Um, and and I think one of you know, one of your keys, one of the things you've hinted at is right, too, is that they are going to split up Gobert and Towns quite a bit as well. So when you look at some of their depth. And, and I do think they have depth, but I do think that shooting or lack thereof is, a, is an issue, especially when you get into the bench. Um, so I think you're going to see long stretches of games where it is Towns at the five and no Rudy or Rudy at the five and no Towns. And then they're going to mix and match. With players around them. It's probably Kyle Anderson in, in Towns in the front court um, in, in that pairing because Kyle isn't a shooter and and Cat is. Um, when Rudy's out there, maybe it's Torian Prince who who can stretch the floor a little bit more and you can kind of mix and match. I think Jalen Noel is going to be very big for the Wolves this year coming off the bench and sort of filling that Beasley role of, of a bucket getter and in particular a three-point shooter. He shot 39% from three last year. I don't know that that's sustainable, but they need him to knock down shots like that um so Chris Finch has a bunch of different guys with different skill sets that he can sort of mix and match together um, a variety of skills, which I think is going to help them and kind of match up game to game with what they're seeing from their opponents. And it gives them a little bit more flexibility that way.
1: Let's talk about Edwards now. And you know, he's in the top 25 of ESPN's NBA rank. I've always felt like that particular exercise with the voters. I, I was a voter for a couple of years, but I decided to stop working after a little while. But <laughs> (laughs) uh because and also it's really hard to do like i think the way they do it is like they'll just give you two players and like who's better and then they use an algorithm to figure out where everyone ranks based on that but uh historically they have been a little early on some young players and probably a a little bit early on taking veterans out of there you know like jimmy butler is 17th but top 25 player anthony edwards i think you would probably agree with me that anthony edwards was not at that level in the regular season a year ago would you say that right yeah yeah
3: I, i think that's fair i mean um He, he, at moments, he absolutely was, um, there were times where he was overpowering and you looked at it and you said, man, there's not anything a defense can do with them. And then there were times where as young players do, um, would go through it and, and be quiet. His efficiency numbers were not great. Um, I think I really did like the steps that he took as a three point shooter last year. I think the improvement there, and he's got another way to go on it. But yeah, that was definitely a year two type of a season for a for a budding all star player, not quite ready yet, kind of inconsistent at times, and they want him now going into year three to make that John Morant leap to um to be a guy who is better in a playmaking role who can get other people involved who can rebound the ball a little bit better um becomes more efficient you know including ticking up his three point shooting but clearly one of the big things he has to do is finish better at the rim Um, and you know I think part of that was interestingly enough not to sound homery but like he does not get a good whistle at the rim he creates a lot of contact and just as a young guy I think that he hasn't built up that equity with with the officials to get the benefit of the doubt and go to the the
1: ability to accentuate shall we say correct yeah correct And so he
3: was having a hard time finishing through that contact and he has put on some muscle, he's put on some, some strength. And so maybe that will help him in that area. Um, But yeah, he's, he's got us, he's got more steps to take to really officially break into that, you know, top 20 player type of a type of a role. He has all the ability to do it and all the the physical talent. But yeah, I, I agree with you that last year he was not a top 25 player during the regular season. When he got to the playoffs in that series, he damn sure looked like a top 25 player, um, but over the bulk of 82 games, he wasn't quite there yet.
1: Yeah. And the biggest way that he did that in the playoffs was shooting a 40% yeah. from three on 57 attempts and mm-hmm. he gets to the foul line more during that series as well. But you certainly saw in crunch time in that series, they didn't really have a great understanding. His shot selection was not fantastic yep. during that period. So it's interesting. I mean, I do, I think there is a possibility of a three point shooting regression from mm-hmm. Edward's because you know 36 six that's a, a little bit above league average last year when three-point shooting was down 33 percent as a rookie but he takes some very shot I mean that, he does. And now I mean th- I'm also gonna say hey maybe he gets up to 38 percent on those shots and now you're like oh my god like how, we have no way to deal with this whatsoever so like that's a possibility too but it, you know guys when guys have a big improvement particularly when he takes as many contested shots as he does you just you wonder a little bit even for a guy who's uh, on the come as he clearly is as a young guy that they're could be a regression there so so that's gonna be really interesting but i do think i mean he's the biggest variable to me in this wolf season along with Jaden mcdaniel who i'm sure we'll talk about in a second you wrote about today but i think towns you get a pretty good idea what he is at this point gobert has been doing this for you know seven eight years now and i think there's some questions about the fit there but i think towns has played with guys like him before i'm not actually that worried about that mm-hmm. aspect but you know if anthony edwards if we're talking about him as truly being on the same level of, say, like Devin Booker uh, or some of the other guards who maybe are not a top 10 player, but a guy that you can run your offense through and feel really good about in crunch time, then I, I think this team might actually be a real playoff.
3: Yeah. And I, I think that's the key is um, in crunch time, the decision making, the shot selection, the execution. That's the thing that is going to take him from a really good player to a great player if, if he can get that part of it down. And we did see in the Memphis series, I mean, the, the Wolves would take double digit leads into the fourth quarter w- almost every game of that series. And they just gave him away with the pressing with the um, forcing things with um, you know, silly turnovers and, and things like that. And, um, and so if Edwards has better command of those moments, because he is so physically overpowering that it's hard to deal with him. If he's making the right plays and the right decisions, either if it's him creating his own shot or, you know, penetrating and, and opening things up for others, that's the X factor that that kind of helps a young team that was beating itself in some ways in that playoff series turn into one that is really difficult to handle.
1: Yeah, I think I'll add D'Angelo Russell to that as well. Certainly a brilliant passer, but also someone who as well, I mean he, he's he's I, I mean that that tattoo he has with like the now in the font that looks <laughs> like it's uh you know an alarm clock. I mean that's mm-hmm. that's maybe the best tattoo in the NBA. But also <laughs> Also, I think Russell is maybe a little bit out over his skis with his own belief in himself as a clutch player. And definitely he doesn't take bad shots either, or good shots either in crunch time mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And you know, Carl Anthony Towns was still by far this team's best offense player, and they couldn't really get him the ball very well uh, at the end of games and throughout even the media games in that Memphis series. So I do think there's going to need to be a little bit of a recalibration. I think Russell playing a little bit more as a pure point guard, particularly to throw those incisive passes when this team isn't going to have the most amazing spacing but to find Rudy Gobert around the rim and really to but to establish that hierarchy particularly in the clutch that no it's Edwards first then Russell can play off of him and and make some shots when he's actually open you know that seems to me to be something that they're going to have to work out
3: yeah the pull-up threes early in the clock um in in some of those possessions from Russell were like yeah you just shook your head at it and and there's a reason that he was on the bench in game six in the elimination game down the stretch for jordan mclaughlin because he just was not running offense
1: he also got roasted worked yeah in yep that yep, series. That yep. They, I mean that in the last five minutes of the game they went after him on every possession for
3: sure and and so yeah like all of that has to be more efficient be smarter um at to to give these guys a chance if there's a, if you want to put on your optimistic glasses Russell's in a contract year he's been on his best behavior so far we'll see how that translates going forward um but the last time he was in a contract year he had a pretty good year for Brooklyn so um he's got to be more focused he's got to be more of a a game manager than a you know quarterback like we say in the NFL or you are getting others involved and you're making the smart play instead of the home run play I think and then just pick your spots here and there when you got a great look and you're and you're in a rhythm to, to do it yourself. But um, the yeah. way that he manages those responsibilities is going to go a long way toward whether this team is a seven seed fighting for a play in spot or a playoff spot or a th- three or four seed trying to get home court advantage in the first round of the, of the playoffs.
1: Yeah, and, the, and the Gobert trade, giving up the picks that they did and also giving up some of the role players that they did, was a bet on D'Angelo Russell, not only for this season, but going forward. I mean, you mentioned he's a free agent. If he leaves, they'll only have about 17 million in cap space. I don't think they're going to be able to replace him even with a, an equivalent talent. And I, I've long thought that Russell is one of the more overrated players in basketball. And I think that's kind of come down now a, a little bit, you know, that he has not been at an all star level in, in Minnesota. But I mean, they need someone else who can dribble the ball they need someone else who can shoot at that position if you're going to play two bigs together as, uh, as well and he, he still is a very good passer so like they need him to play well this year and i think he will be quite richly rewarded if he does because they're in the bird right trap with him they'll have no way to replace him with an equivalent talent after
3: yeah absolutely and and yeah if they win 50 plus games and they even if they if even if it's just one series that they win there will be momentum at russell's back and this is a really big opportunity season for him I mean you're not the only one there's plenty of people around the league who don't believe that D'Angelo Russell is um is an additive player on a, on a on a winning team and so if the Wolves have a really good season and he plays well uh he's going to position himself for a huge payday whether it is in Minnesota or elsewhere and yeah he may trap the Wolves into just having to do it just to keep that salary slot or maybe they'll just say hey we really like the fit and and, and we'll make this happen and, and we'll go about it but 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 I think that he has the, he is the player that has the most to lose or gain this season um, if he plays poorly um, and the Wolves struggle and he's one of the root causes of it, then he's going to have a hard time looking around and, and and finding someone that will have any faith that he can be a, their starting point guard on a, on a playoff team and, and give him some real money. Um, and so there's, it, it could go the other way for him as well. Um, but if he does, have a season where he is a galvanizer, where he handles things the right way. And he kind of is that quarterback of this team and they win and have a lot of success, man, he is, he's really going to benefit from that financially for sure.
1: Any other like big themes you're looking at this year? We haven't talked about yet.
3: Um, Let's see here. I, I do think that um, when you look at their depth overall you're right in terms of they gave up Beasley Vanderbilt Patrick Beverly was so huge for this team I mean um, even Walker Kessler I think would have gotten minutes here had he oh, yeah. had he stayed and um, and so they gave up a lot of of that depth and and that chemistry that that really helped them I mean Beverly and Vanderbilt were the two card-carrying members of the hustle club like that that's where this team got a lot of its grit got a lot a lot of its Um, work ethic, got a lot of kind of the intensity, I I think is the best word. And now they're both gone. So like, how does that get filled? Gobert obviously is a very intense dude and, and is a, you know, is an experienced guy and a, and a, and a leader, but um, this team is going to have a little bit different personality, I think without those guys here. And so how they go about kind of going forward without one of their defining characteristics, and like, I've always been like, I think chemistry is important, but sometimes it gets overrated, but this yeah. team Played better than the talent that it had last year because of like how hard they played night in and night out, and the two biggest engines of that were Vanderbilt and Beverly. So will they have that same type of intensity and that same type of grind um, without those guys there? Who, who's got? Who's going to step in there and 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 keep that edge? That's going to be a good question, and 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 to see what happens and develops on that point.
1: No, you make a great point there, and Rudy Gobert. I mean, just for himself, he's one of the hardest playing players in NBA. Yeah. That guy Mm -hmm. busts his ass, particularly for a guy at his size, you really would be hard pressed to find someone who works as hard as he does through the meat of the game. I mean, the demands are a little bit different now, you know, back when Moses Malone was rebounding and Charles Oakley was rebounding, like you got to cover a lot more ground these days defensively and offensively running the floor. But I think it's pretty clear based on his tenure in Utah that Rudy wasn't necessarily able to drag everyone else with him from a leadership standpoint. There was friction. Carl anthony Towns is someone who hasn't really been able to I think connect and be a leader in that way. Although I, I think he he's a really smart guy and he fancies himself that way but I think there are, he's not a guy who has like a lot of respect around the league as like a leader mm-hmm. and a teammate necessarily at this point in time. Maybe he can change that this year. Kyle Anderson is going to come in and I think he, he plays hard as well but I think he's kind of a little bit more of a quiet guy. Quiet guy, yeah. Mm-hmm. As, as far as I can tell. So you know, Austin Rivers isn't going to play the same role that Patrick Beverly did. Yeah, they don't necessarily have the vet that Patrick Beverly was a year year ago to to really kind of push things so yeah and you know Jaden McDaniels you wrote about him today and I'm very very high on him as obviously are are the Wolves and and you wrote about why but a lot of what he talked about working on was his jumper but also like he has some ambition to be more of an on-ball player he's going to be working toward trying to establish an extension you know for over 20 million dollars a year in that McHale Bridges range if not more than that with a good season but he's going to want the ball but he's really a clear fourth fifth in the pecking order with this. Group, so yeah, I think uh, there are a few questions uh, about uh, how all these personalities are, are going to mesh and the leadership question.
3: Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, it's it's all about, and and I think that gets back to also kind of what we started the podcast with is just in terms of how they handle expectations and pressure and. Um, if, if it's not going well early, um, do they stay together and hang in there or do, you know, they start pointing fingers and, and, and one guy says, I, I need the ball more, or, I need to be doing this or, or that that's going to be the thing to watch, but you know, they have the, uh, as soft a start to their schedule as they could ever hope for. So maybe that will help them, you know, gel and, and get some chemistry early and, and, and get a rhythm and, and get some confidence flowing. And if they're you know, nine and three after the first 12, which is, Po- very possible um with all the home games that they have and with all of the um rebuilding teams that they're facing um maybe that just kind of helps to put the wind at their backs and 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 gets them going in the right direction
1: you got about 15 20 minutes left here last thing i wanted to ask you before we get into our our predictions is any of these young guys that you've got your eye on that you think could emerge at all this yeah I, guys who haven't necessarily been in the rotation yet
3: yeah i think i think jalen noel is the guy to watch for sure yeah. um You know, he has had moments. When he has stepped in, whether it's because they were kind of beset by COVID last year or there's been an injury or two here or there, um, he has a a very Seattle game. He's a Seattle dude, um, and he's, you know, the Jamal Crawford, Brandon Roy, like bucket getter type of guy, um, and he's he's he has got a lot of ingenuity to his offense. He can score in the mid-range. He can get to the rim. He can shoot it. He's been waiting for several years now to have the opportunity to have have a regular role in a rotation and he just has not been able to crack it. Part of it has been struggled on defense. Part of it has been, you know, Malik Beasley in front of him. They just needed that knockdown shooting. Now all of that is gone. And so he can be a sixth, seventh man type of a player and, and, and the offense off of the bench. And so if he can settle into that role and um, be a guy who can, you know, be one of the the, just the main bucket getters in that second unit Um, I think that will be big for him individually but also for the Wolves as a team because they did give up some valuable pieces that were either bench guys or second unit guys that really helped their offense and um, and they need someone to step into that hole and now it's going to be it's going to be Jalen Noel, Bryn Forbes and Austin Rivers sort of in a rotating kind of uh, situation and we'll see who grabs onto that role but i think noel has more game than those other two guys and and so he has the opportunity to to put together a good season and again he's going to be a free agent this summer and he could make a lot of money as well if he if he is able to consistently fill that role that they need from him
1: yeah and pj dozier yeah. is also in this mix now tim Connolly product one of those finds it's certainly a guy who's not a great offensive player but it was a guy that michael malone loved for his defense in denver he's now resumed playing five on five tim Conley said it a few days ago so he could maybe get in this mix as well as a perimeter defensive stopper it may be competing with rivers in that role but yeah i think they would love it if uh jaylen newell can seize that role because they do need somebody else other than edwards and russell who can attack off the drill. And mclaughlin it seems pretty clearly he's going to be kind of the caretaker backup point guard role that he's filled pretty well over the years mm-hmm. and you'd like to see him be a little bit more efficient but it, i think he showed in the playoffs that he can be pretty good there but yeah that backup two slot as a score seems like no else to lose they certainly would love to have him come in there and go into uh, i mean it's interesting too because he's going to be i think is he going to be an unrestricted free agent after this year? i forget he i think started that's started off on a two-way um yeah he'll be unrestricted after yep. this year and that that'll be interesting um you know mm-hmm. he's also a guy who could maybe get extended during the wall so yeah i, I think he'll he's d- definitely put up numbers in limited minutes well, i shouldn't say that limited. he's 975 minutes last year and was quite efficient for-
3: yeah surprising that he hit 39 percent from three like He's kind of been more of a historically guy that just let, likes to get to the mid range and likes to operate there. But if he can be reliable 37, 38% from three on higher volume, I mean, that'll be a huge huge um thing for the wolves because i mean they they gave up beasley and even beverly shot a bunch of threes and made a decent clip from them so they need they need some of that outside shooting as well if he can do that then great if not then i think you will see forbes get more minutes there and because they they just need some kind of reliable floor spacing and uh we'll see how that all works out
1: um, quick question. Presumably they're going to stagger Russell and Edwards some. Um, yes. You, and they're going to stagger Towns and Gobert. Mm-hmm. Which guard do you like with which big?
3: Yeah, so um, I love Russell with Gobert pick and roll Um, one thing that has been not as seamless in Russell's first couple of seasons in Minnesota is Towns is a pick and pop big like he's not a set screen roll to the basket and catch a lob like he just doesn't do that that's the kind of player that Russell excels with I think that there was a stat and this is not exact but I really when Gobert was first acquired um they talked about his ability to catch lobs and i think there's a stat that the wolves threw five lobs last year like lob dunks like five oh, five
1: the edwards must have had one no there, right? no no did not
3: nope, nope, wow. yeah and so um so, uh, Gobert obviously and Russell in that combination works beautifully. Um, and then Cat and Ant playing off of each other, with Ant being a a guy who can turn the corner on a screen and go to the basket and attack that way. And and Towns can pop out and and draw the defense out um, and give Anthony Edwards room to operate. I think that those two com- that, that those are the two combinations you're going to see a lot of when you break up the starting unit. And the, the beauty of having four high level players like that is you can pretty much keep two on the floor almost all the time and and so that mitigates some of your depth concerns as well and so um so yeah I think you're gonna see Russell with Gobert a lot and you're gonna see Edwards with Towns a lot
1: I'm in complete agreement with you I thought that with the Russell acquisition one of the things I liked about it I didn't like that much about it but one of the things I liked about it was I felt like oh actually you know D'Angelo Russell is not that great of an ISO guy but now with Towns you can't switch him because then if you Give the ball to Towns, then he's going to kill whoever it is on the switch. It just hasn't worked out that way. Whether Towns, you know, doesn't he has not really just like duck in on guys and just kill you around the rim. And you know, yeah, as you mentioned, he's been a little bit vulnerable to being guarded by smaller players, which I think actually was less the case early in his career. I think his post game actually has lined a little bit since early in his career. and the also game obviously it's better. Yeah, and also
3: Nate, like Towns is not a good screener. Um, he he for all of the foul issues that he has. In the regular season that he has gone through, I mean, I it's at least twice a game where he's picking up an offensive foul for a moving screen because he's just he's not very good in that in that. So that's one area that he really needs to improve upon, and I think that's one area that really made it harder for Russell to operate when now he goes from you know from towns and not and and not being a strong screener to maybe the best screener in the entire league in in Gobert, and and so I think that that, that sim that synergy will be a lot higher with with the the go bear screen and then the way that Gobert just loves to roll to the rim and 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 attack that way and then d'angelo can work the the mid-range and the the kind of the pull up you know right around the foul line and do things that way or the elbow
1: yeah d'angelo needs his man to slam into or needs yes the screen to slam into his man because he's just not quick enough to turn the corner otherwise right like if you're gonna slip out the way towns likes to do like because what towns wants to do is slip out catch the ball and either take that three or do those hard right-handed drives against Mm -hmm. the closeout. And that didn't help Russell because then his man, if he wasn't getting screened, would just stay in front of him and there wouldn't be as much separation. And so once Russell gets that initial screen, then he can get his man in jail on his back and play that two-on-one game and with Gobert coming downhill at the rim, you know, should work pretty well. I I agree that, I mean, you would think, hey, our two best, Offensive players are Edwards and Towns. Let's split them up. Let's stagger them. But I think, you no, know, there are much better synergies between pairing that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Any other big strengths or weaknesses for these guys we haven't talked about yet? Okay. Um, well, I mean, the other
3: thing that I want to see, um, is in terms of the way they, they adapt defensively to go bear, like Edwards and Russell in particular are ball hawks. Like they try to be that way, like, and they, they do want to create opportunities to get out and transition with Edwards, with McDaniels, um, running, using that athleticism. And the way you do that is, is continuing to create turnovers so what i want to see is will go bears presence make them more emboldened to take those chances will they will they try to do less of that and just rebound and play solid that's a question that i i don't know the answer to right now but it's going to be something that i watch because their identity it's so much of it was built on chasing the ball around getting in and then getting out in transition and um And now without Vanderbilt and Beverly, two of the guys that did a lot of that as well, uh, how they how they adapt to this new uh configuration that they're going to have i think is going to be a big indicator of just their overall comfort level in terms of generating offense off of their defense and how they do that i'm not sure what we're going to see in that regard
1: yeah you hope it's a match made in heaven right like these guys yep. forced turnovers but they couldn't rebound they couldn't protect the room rudy gobert as good as his defenses in utah's were they always had a little bit of a ceiling on him because they never forced any turnovers so mm-hmm. now you, you put those two together and hope hopefully you're going to be really statistically very good but also you know there are places to attack with towns and russell um yeah i mean you mentioned the transition that was huge for them they're fifth in the nba in terms of running uh they also had the number one half court offense in the nba after january 1st in the period you mentioned which was you know, that even more than the running it was good i mean and carl anthony towns i think it maybe gets lost a little bit in his struggles in the playoffs like he's an unbelievable offense player incredible and, you know and now i do I, my hope is Just that hey, by not playing him at the five, that you're not gonna lose too much of that necessarily. Um, I mean, I think it's also gonna be really fascinating to see what opponents do defensively. Is are they gonna put their center on Gobert and put their four on towns? You know, I think we saw in the Memphis series that teams actually like a Dylan Brooks type could actually have success against towns, and because Gobert is out there as well, it's a little harder for towns to get into the post and kind of bludgeon those guys, which he doesn't really want to do that much anyway, and he could pick up off offensive fouls when he gets it into that too so uh, how who opponents put on each guy is going to be fascinating to me all right i put it off as long as we can we <laughs> got to make our predictions here i'm having a complete struggle i tend to be a little bit more conservative on new teams that we haven't seen yet i will say i said this about the Cavs in the east i might even feel a little more strongly about it with the wolves in the west because of what rudy gobert has been as a regular season defense player being this one man top five defense on his own and this offense was really good last year and I don't see Gobert really hurting it that much maybe Kyle Anderson will maybe the bench won't be as good you know maybe that's where they fall off a little bit but you know they should be in the top 10 on both offense and defense I think you know it would probably be a surprise but again as I went through the list of offense I'm like there's no like unbelievable offense out there to me but there's also like They're 15 so bad. teams that yeah. I could see being in like the top you know in like the 3 to 18 range right I, I mm-hmm. really like so I don't know I, I, I'm, I, I'm prevaricating here I ended up Actually, I mean, their over-under was... Uh, when we did it 49 and a half i went under i think not by much um i think i'll go with 49 wins mm-hmm. for this team but i fully acknowledge they could be the number one seed yeah you're like very much so and then you know the playoffs to be a different story and we can talk about that a little bit but that's that's what i'm going for what do you got
3: yeah it's it's interesting because i think um i think that number's ticked up just a little bit um it started at 48 and a half and i think people are hammering that uh over a little bit and so it doesn't surprise me that it's gone up i i am um, in the regular season I'm bullish on these guys and you know like there have been times on this podcast where I've come on and and been betting the under um uh, on this group um before but I'm going over with with this one I think it's I think it's 52 wins and I think that maybe that could be conservative. If, if, if I, I think they like you, I, if they have the potential if everything came together, they could win upper 50s and, and be in the, the right in the chase for the number one seed. Or, you know, if they get an injury or if, if things don't gel, they could be down around 45 or 46 and really scratching and clown for the play. but I, I think they're going to win a lot of regular season games. I think it's going to work pretty well. I like Chris Finch and his ability to adapt. And so I, I'm going to put him at 52 right now and and I think I'll feel pretty good about that.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that's, uh, that makes a lot of sense. I should say, actually, one thing we didn't mention in terms of strengths, Edwards, Towns, Gobert, historically, all pretty durable guys. Yeah. Uh, Ed, uh, Knock on Russell, board. maybe yeah. less so, but I think they can weather an absence for him mm-hmm. uh, a lot better than one of those other three guys. Uh, and, you know, they, even if Gobert goes down, like they found a way of playing without him uh, also, um, you know, what they get from McDaniels to be really interesting to like, that's a big variable. We I wanted to talk about it more. We ran out of time. But, you know, his ability to shoot the three where he has not been that good recently, Mm -hmm. if he's going to be playing the three more full-time in some of these lineups, maybe there'll be times that someone in the backcourt gets hot and there's no one for McDaniels to guards and he doesn't close, but other times they're really going to need him. He's really their only perimeter stopper, you'd say, other than Edwards, and you don't necessarily want him in that role for a lot of the game. So he'll be interesting. Like, can they get away with playing him at the end of games? Is he going to get guarded? You know, can he attack on closeouts? Can he be a better finisher? You, you wrote about him really struggling to finish and transition this year, or last year, I should say, for example. So that's, that's a big variable. Um, I want to close with this. Any teams, kind of fun, that we get to talk about this with the Wolves. Any teams you think they match up particularly well or poorly against in the playoffs? Who? Um, well, n- now that they have Rudy,
3: um, M- Memphis. Yeah I think yeah. I think they that's that's a, they would not be scared of that at all um and I I would like to see them I'm trying to think of just others off the top of my head right now. I mean, I could make an argument for Dallas. Like, I think that I mean, as great as Luca is, and it, he would strike fear into my heart um, if I'm a Wolves fan watching them go into a series against Luca. But just given the other star power that the Wolves have versus what Dallas has, um, I I would like to see that matchup. Who are they? are the, the teams that I think they would struggle against the most? Teams like the Warriors, teams that um, maybe even Phoenix, like teams that really play well in the half court, moving the ball around, exploiting matchups, hunting mismatches, going a little smaller, and knocking down outside shots. Like those are the teams that I think are really going to give this Wolves team problems. The ones that have been together for a while and can trust the pass and get them scrambling um, and then and then hit the open threes that they're invariably going to get against the Timberwolves defense, those are the teams that, that they probably do not want to see in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I think Golden State number one is a real bad mm-hmm. matchup for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the teams, teams, that, yeah, that are really good passing teams. I think actually Dallas is a pretty decent matchup against them, also with potentially their ability to play five out basketball, which could be a problem for this group. And and also just if Luca runs a pick and roll at D'Angelo Russell or Carl Anthony Towns, like you just there's yeah. no way to deal with that other than putting two on the ball. And then Luca, if you put two on the ball on Luca at three point line, like he's just gonna absolutely be mm-hmm. seen. The, just so I, I and I think the the dallas's defense like stays solid they they're able to use space principles they had good success taking advantage of Rudy Gobert's limitations offensively in the playoffs last year so I, I think Dallas actually could punch above their weight against Minnesota I think they might be okay against Phoenix um because uh, Phoenix they're just gonna be so much bigger and more athletic than Phoenix and like who does Phoenix have to guard Carl Anthony towns or or even Rudy Gobert right like if they're they'll probably put eight on towns it's a decent matchup um so I, I think that one could be interesting I mean you know the the pick and roll game of Phoenix, yeah, you know, it's, it maybe, but I think Rudy Gobert does okay against like direct pick and rolls at him. It's more mm-hmm. when you're just blowing by guys on the perimeter and he has to help that that you can run into a few more problems. uh The Clippers, I mean, that's really an interesting one. Obviously, they beat them last year. I don't know about that one. I think like their overall size and athleticism maybe could bother the Clippers. um But the Clippers also can really shoot it, which would, would be a big problem. And that would be such a fascinating series with the Clippers going small and Minnesota yeah. going big. Like I. Love Love to see that, but that would be absolutely
3: amazing. yeah that would be that'd be a lot of fun um you know i i like i do think as i think about all of these things and you you think that talent wins so often it you know in these matchups and you look at the wolves bringing four well let's say three they might have three all-stars this year um, Gobert and Edwards, if he makes that leap and how many teams can say that. And then if you add, if Russell has a good year, if McDaniels makes a leap, I mean, you, you just look at one through five, like their starters, one through five from a pure talent standpoint are going to give them an advantage a lot of times. And, and I'll admit that I've had a hard time wrapping my mind around that and really kind of going, you know, piece by piece with the other teams in the West. I mean, I think the Clippers have a ton of talent and um, I, I like Denver if Porter comes back. I don't know if he's going to or not, but like... Um, But I just think that it's a team that has not been used to having the talent advantages that are that is now, if it all falls into place, is going to have a talent advantage on a lot of nights. And you couple that with Chris Finch, who I think is a very good X's and O's and schematic coach. And it's just going to they're going to be going to be a lot to handle for for a lot of these teams
1: yeah now that said I mean I think I have them if I had to do playoff power rankings I probably would have them seventh I think they will they're more likely than not to make the playoffs as I mm-hmm. think about it just I, I probably have them picked for seventh in the west but because of the fact I think they have fewer health questions than some of these teams and you know it, it's probably likely that one of those six teams is gonna fall off or have injuries or whatever so I think they're more likely than not to be in the top six but if I had to pick the number they're gonna be at it, it would be seven you know with Denver Dallas Golden State Memphis Phoenix and the Clippers ahead of them and obviously you know the Pelicans and the Lakers are going to be heard from too at some point but I think they'll they're a good chance to make the playoffs and like I said they could really be the number one seed Uh, like Mm -hmm. they could this could work that well all right let's uh wrap it up here where can we keep up with everything you're doing on the Wolves this season
3: yeah I got uh you can find my written work at theathletic.com uh cover all the Wolves stuff there and a little bit more broadened NBA this season as well. Uh, and then I also have a podcast on the Talk North Sports Podcast Network uh, called the John Krasinski Show. So you can find that on wherever you get uh, your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, wherever else. Um, and that's a once-a-week show where we dive into all the uh, comings and goings with the Timberwolves uh, and and the NBA at large. So those are my two main spots where you can find me.
1: All right, I did not know you were doing that podcast. I got to subscribe to that. Yeah. right now the John John Krasinski Show. And uh, thanks again for coming on, John. We really appreciate this, uh, and I, I know you're quite in demand for mm-hmm. these pods so awesome always a good nice time
3: with you nate i um, glad uh, glad things are going well and uh, thanks for having me man I'll, I'll talk to you as the season
0: goes along here at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365